Hello and thanks for tuning in to this episode of the ALT Learn Podcast. I'm John Tate and I'll be your host over the next 30 minutes as we break down the science behind how our students really learn, what this pedagogy looks like in the classroom and get to find out how our teachers are turning all this theory into practice. So let's dive into this week's episode. Welcome to episode one of the ALT podcast, where as we're back in a period of lockdown and school closures, we'll be discussing everything to do with best practice around delivering live lessons and remote learning. I'm delighted to say that with me today as guests on the show are Chris Brown, Head of Science at North Alton School, and Rob McGreal, Assistant Ed Teacher at Stokesy School, both of whom are digital learning technology leads in their respective schools, and an integral part of the Trustwide Digital Learning Technologies team. Hello, gents, and a big thanks for being with us today. Afternoon, hey, John. John. Right, we're obviously back to planning and delivering remote learning, uh, as the majority of our students are now learning from home for at least, we think, uh, when we recorded this uh, until half term. So I want to see if we can give some hints, tips and golden nuggets to some of the staff listening. So let's begin by looking at the different ways we can deliver remote learning. And I want to specifically focus here on live lessons, because I know that's, that's something that's really kind of taken off over the last kind of few weeks. Um, and also because I know that from a senior leader point of view and as a parent, that what I've seen over the last 12 months, there's certainly more than one way to do this. So, Chris, let's start with you. Um, what are the different ways that you can structure a live lesson? Hi, John. Um, the key thing I think you need to decide when you're planning a live lesson is what's the purpose of that live lesson. Um, and unlike maybe a normal teaching in a classroom, when you're first starting out, I think it's good to have a very clear goal in mind and not try and do two or three or four things at the beginning. So you might start off thinking this lesson is going to be about instruction, about teaching a complex topic, in which case you need to have your resources like a PowerPoint or a whiteboard to help you do that. I'm a physicist, so I like to have a whiteboard and I use something called Zeitboard mm-hmm. or uh, another thing to do that Um, or it might be a tutorial to clear up any problems in which case you need to have those questions to hand that the kids have been working on so you can quickly screen share them and and ideally if you're not confident about it you've gone through the answers so you know what they are so you're not thinking live on air it might be guided practice or it could even just be a briefing or a review of work that you've got Mm -hmm. now if you're new to live teaching i think it's really important that you pick one of those goals and you don't try and do everything all at once and then as the lessons and weeks roll on you can become more ambitious and maybe have multifaceted lessons but at first you know have a very clear goal and, and and structure it like that that's what i think Fantastic. Rob, anything anything to add to that? And it's interesting, you know, Chris has said there about kind of picking one as well to start with and not trying to overload yourself in thinking that you have to do everything everything straight away. Yeah, I think that's definitely important. Um, you know, a lot of us aren't, aren't going to be used to working in this sort of way. So, you know, not trying to do too much in one go is it, definitely the right way forward. I think that what we found is that it is quite, you know, the technology lends itself quite well to doing some of the things that you would probably do as a teacher anyway. So, you know, giving the students like a retrieval practice based braining gear activity at the start of a lesson mm-hmm. um, while you're maybe, you know, settling other things down. So as soon as they log in, they've got something to do. You know, that's been something that we found useful uh, and is, you know, still part of our ongoing lessons that we would do anyway. Um, but then also I agree with, with what Chris said about, you know, this a lot of these lessons now where, where you're imparting new content, it is about direct instruction from the teacher. You know, it's not necessarily about students working together to discover things. And I think we've almost got to accept that 
you know, in, in the situation it is with, with you delivering new content in this way that you're going very much back to, you know, the teacher is the font of all knowledge and I'm going to explain something to you and then show you how to do it. Yeah, and I think I think that's really interesting, isn't it? In, in thinking that and, and thinking about that, it is a different way, and, and it's not necessarily just a, a normal classroom lesson, and that we have to think differently about, you know, going back to what you both said, really is about what it is, what's the purpose of it, what are we trying to, you know, to engage the students in, what you know, what we're we trying to do, rather than just replicate everything that we would normally have done in a lesson. So, Robert, in terms of other things that you've used, because I know that we, we kind of you know, we are doing live lessons, but there are a lot of other things that we can use in terms of technology features to kind of engage students into either questioning or just generally kind of you know general engagement what are the things that you've used um to kind of to help that with you know features within the lesson yeah i mean obviously we've been running our our live lessons through google meet so obviously we've been using the google suite of apps you know things like classroom to share resources we're using google um let's say meet to do the actual lesson um but there's other things out there that are available that we've been using some of which are google products and some aren't uh, you know there's plenty out there um, one thing I know I've been using a lot of as a mathematician, I'm sure Chris as a physicist will back me up there, is, is an online whiteboard. It, it's so vital in, in my subject particularly to be able to model um, you know, how you answer questions to students. And that's so difficult to do when you're just explaining it. So you know, having a, a you know, using Jamboard is, is the Google product. You know, Chris uses Zightboard, he's mentioned already. Um, to be able to model that work is, is important. We've also been using uh, Google Forms um, for quizzes. You can set a Google Form up as a quiz that self-marks because that's important. You know, we need to be able to you know, assess students have understood what we've taught them without creating massive amounts of extra workload for staff. So anything we can do that's automatic is great. Uh, there's a couple of other bits we've used, which are, which are add-ons really. Um, Quizzical, I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that before. It's Q-U-I-Z-I-C-A-L, Quizzical. Um, it's a, a website based around retrieval practice in science, but you can actually get it as an add-on into Google Forms. So when you create your Google Form, you can basically download a pre-made quiz from Quizzical and it, it exports it, sorry, imports it into your Google Form for you to, to set for the students. And then something else we started to look at based on um, sort of like the retrieval roulette type activities that I know um, the Cog Sci-Sci group and Adam Boxer had, had sort of been pushing is carousel learning. Mm -hmm. um, so we've put a few people onto that. So what Carousel Learning again does is a massive community on there now of, of teachers who are uploading um, re like re retrieval roulettes with thousands of questions that you can say, right, I want so many questions on this topic. And again, the students can log in, it's self-marks. And it's just something to be able to not only engage the kids, but actually to for, for teachers to be able to assess that they are making progress and they are understanding what you're teaching them without spending hours, you know, marking different pieces of work that are handing in every lesson fantastic well i i talked right at the start about giving some golden nuggets away and stuff but i think you've you've certainly given a load away there that's fantastic and hopefully people who are listening can can dive straight into those and get those kind of plugged into the lesson straight away chris you got anything you got anything to add to that and, and any other things that you can kind of that people can use yeah i mean there's a few tools that i think are really useful the one thing that's um We've got a slight difference in approach in the way we do live lessons. We use a, um, a package called Cisco WebEx Meetings. And um, built into that is a polling feature where you can write questions and it immediately pops up on the screen of, uh, of, of the, the participants. And we've found that more students will 
engage in a poll than if you asked the question and said type your answer into chat you, you get pretty much 100 percent engagement with the polls which is really useful to give you a quick snapshot of the where the students are uh, another add-on which is free and i can't believe that it's free because it's, so, it's such a brilliant package is something called mort m-o-t-e and that lets you record voice feedback and it integrates into all of google's pieces of software you know um like slides uh, and docs and even even the Google Classroom itself. And what's really nice then is you can give rich feedback very quickly, unless you're a very fast typer. Um, but as you can tell, I'm a quick talker. Um, so I love more for that. Um, some of those things that Rob has said, um, we've used a couple of them that haven't, which sound very interesting. But one thing that we pay for as a department is something called Educake. Now, um, Educake's basically short answer questions that automatically mark um, and it, it, it gives the students feedback it gives the staff feedback but it tracks it over time as well so we we love educate and it's something that maybe heads of faculty might want to look into and investigate because I, I, th I think it's remarkable as a key stage four um, and key stage three assessment solution brilliant and it's really nice to hear that both of you are then talking about you're talking about retrieval practice but also kind of hopefully you know things that are self-marking as well and, and reducing kind of workload on staff and at the same time giving that immediate feedback which i think to you and to the students is it's imperative you know to be able to then you know to, to check for understanding to be able to move on with the learning but at the same time also really reinforcing how important retrieval practice is for the students and that's certainly something we can do quite efficiently and effectively mm -hmm. via remote learning um which, which is brilliant and yeah. you mentioned there's, about go, go on sorry rob sorry john i just said there's a couple of other things i've been literally looking at this morning um part of me was trying to think about how you could you know one of the things i think teachers find it a little bit frustrating is when you, you're trying to follow kids work in the lesson and trying to jump between multiple documents mm -hmm. so i like literally this morning quick google search and i found um somebody who's put together a bit of a bit of script that um, allows you to export your class list into a new Google slide, um, create automatically creating a, a, a new slide for every student with their name just before it, so that they're all working in the same document um, on their individual slide. And as a teacher, you can set the view so you can see every slide at once. Um, you know, just little things like that to make teachers life easier. Cool. That, that's great. And I, and I think that with, with the way technology is going, there's always new innovative approaches. And, and hopefully, you know, we've certainly sparked people's um, thought processes, um, you know, and, and they're kind of interested in some of those things if it, if it does make their lessons more effective, but also more easier to manage. And what I was going to say was, Chris, I know you mentioned there about Mort, and certainly there'll be a lot of people listening to this who are taking part in, in our kind of trustwide Mort trial, really, to see how it's going so far. And I know that early feedback is, like you said, that you can give a lot better, richer feedback. And I think that you know, that word richer is important as well as because you can use expression and tone in your voice when you're giving feedback, whereas you obviously can't do that in a, in a written sense. So uh, yeah, hopefully a lot of those things people will be able to pick up, they'll be able to use and be able to really kind of, you know, make their lessons, you know, even their live lessons even more effective uh, and, and, and gain more kind of feedback and checking for understanding and all the things we need to do. Um, one thing I'm really interested in, in terms of um, how we've been delivering lessons then is that has there been any difference in our approach to delivering any live lessons in terms of the age range whether it's key stage three key stage four key stage five chris i don't know if you want to you want to start with that and see if there's been, if there's been any any difference there 
I mean, in terms of the idea of what we want to do, um, not really that they're all all having live lessons for every one of their lessons, but there are some there are some differences. The older students, for example, key stage five, I would say there is more direct instruction because the concentration spans are longer there. And um, I would say we, we probably are, are, are teaching more like a normal lesson with the, our key stage five students. Um, our key stage three students are in an unusual situation um, at North Allerton in that they mainly have Chromebooks. Um, it's it's more like what Stokesy have across, I think seven, eight, nine, and 10. But our students with Chromebooks are more used to um, navigating Google Classroom. And I think sometimes it's a bit slicker because the students are more trained for that. Yeah. Um, but I, I would say, departmentally um we've taken the decision to follow our timelines where we can mm -hmm. because i think the platforms that we've chosen allow us that continuity of learning and it, it allows us to track you know what the students are doing we we are really focusing on what i call non-negotiable knowledge so if if learners have got patchy knowledge because of lockdown one or this second lockdown, what we're doing is targeting the knowledge that we think is most important to allow them to progress, you know, to the next the next episode in learning. So we're really focusing on that, especially with 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 examination groups, you know, the, the year 10, year 11, year 12, year 13. But the the broad picture is the same, but you know what you can expect from 11 year old and an 18 yeah, year old they're not right. the same or they see so that that changes yeah 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 rob anything different uh, at stokesy or is that a pretty similar picture well yeah just before i mentioned that i just, just pick on one thing chris said there it's interesting what you said there chris about non-negotiable knowledge because i know i found during the last lockdown when we were worried about content that had been missed a, a good blog written again by by adam boxer um about the difference between prerequisite knowledge and um, and prior knowledge, you know, and there's there's knowledge that yeah they they might have known by now, but actually do they absolutely need to know it for today? And you yeah, know, he was exactly right about the, the the importance of you know if I'm teaching this, what do the students absolutely need to know? Um, yeah, you know, for me, it's that idea of well, we know this topic might be sort of Swiss cheese but you don't need to necessarily fill every hole or take a scorched earth policy to effectively move on. You need to do triage and, and, and secure the key learning. And I think, I think, and I know that seems like a slightly cynical thing, but if, if a child's in year nine or in year seven or in year eight, you've got time to fill in those gaps. You don't need to immediately fix everything all in one go. Yeah. But it's also impossible. You know, you can't have missed as much time as we've missed during the first lockdown and expect that that is going to get filled in somehow perfectly. Um, you know, if, if we're able to do that, then we were probably being inefficient in the first place, if we're honest. Yeah, that's, um, that's a very good point. Yeah. And, and so I, I say I, it I, is I, about about making sure that you know what you understand what what is absolute prerequisite knowledge to study this content and making sure, as you say, that there's no gaps there. And I think the other thing I'd really, say, John, yeah, uh, was, the difference mainly for me at Key Stage 5 is um, the value of a good textbook. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's what I found particularly in my lessons is because, you know, I, I, I say I'm teaching A-level maths and further maths and the students have got have got textbooks to work from is it, it does make, um, you know, setting work offline loads easier. Um, and I know there's been a big 
sort of, you know, move away from textbooks, I suppose, across the education system, certainly during my career. Um, but I must say, like, you know, the value of a good textbook is certainly being, being seen at the minute. I, I totally agree with that, Robin. It's interesting that I was almost, I think I've said this a few times for a lot of people, I, I feel like I was brought up in education circles through my teacher training and my early years as an NQT, et cetera, et cetera, feeling that or being told that or inferring that using a textbook was kind of lazy teaching almost. And, and I think now I, I, I totally agree with what you've said that the way to, you know, that using a textbook in the right way is a, is a, is a, can be a really essential kind of aid and guide to, you know, to, to a really, you know, well thought out and well planned and well sequenced, uh, you know, teaching st structure. And I think that, like you say, right now, it would be a huge kind of advantage for the students to be able to also, you know, consolidate their knowledge and use things from a textbook. So I, I absolutely agree. And, and picking up what you said a, a couple of minutes ago about, uh, with both of you, what you've said earlier about confirming that you don't need to and you shouldn't feel pressured to kind of close all those gaps immediately. But actually, let's look at it one lesson at a time. And I think that's really sound advice for anybody out there thinking, well, you know, what do they need to know right now for this lesson? And how can we kind of plug those gaps to make this lesson effective rather than how on earth am I going to catch up on the last six months of learning? Well, actually, let's just take it one step at a time. Um, and I think that's a really sound advice for everyone out there. So I think that, that, that's great. Um, Next thing that I want to look at is um, really kind of, I suppose, what we learned from the uh, from the initial wave of remote learning, because obviously this is the second time we've been in this now. Um, and, you know, what lessons did we learn from the, how we delivered things in the first lockdown um, and also the hybrid teaching that we've had to conduct throughout the first term with some students being in and some students being out. So, Rob, do you want to kick us off with this and talk about some of the lessons that we've learned now we're in the second phase? Yeah, I think for us, it was just about about taking things slowly and building it up, I suppose, you know, we didn't we didn't jump straight into everybody doing doing live lessons or hybrid lessons when students were self isolating straight away. Um, you know, we did it in patches and we, and, we, and we supported, you know, I suppose, a few staff to be able to deliver that sort of thing where we had whole classes out. And then we built that up over time to a point now where you know, when, when we're coming back now into the situation of having all our students working from home, um, that, you know, every member of staff is delivering every lesson in that way. And I think, you know, if we tried to do this in September, it wouldn't have worked. Um, but the fact that we've had time to, to, I suppose, cascade that, that knowledge down through the rest of the staff has meant that uh, people have felt a lot more um, able to do it. And, mm -hmm. and also, because more staff have experienced it in smaller groups, it's sort of spread around. Actually, it isn't that scary a thing to do. Um, and to say we've, we've, we've done our best to support staff every step of the way and, and offer training and all those sorts of things. So um, I suppose that, that, that's it in a nutshell, really, for me. It, it's about taking time and not jumping into too deep. Um, yeah. Keeping students in a routine is really important as well, actually. And that's, that's something we found and the feedback we've had on doing the live lessons as we're doing following the students timetable and um, from parents a lot of parents got in touch and said it's so good that you know they can't turn around and say oh, i've got this work to do but i'm going to do it later or you know i've not been set anything from this subject the fact that the, the students day is much more structured at home i think is helping an awful lot of people and um, you know work from home probably more successfully than before because they're not having to keep an eye on on their children or or make or help them out with their work because you've got um, you've got teachers there to to do it I mean, I, I'm smiling behind the mic here. People won't be able to see us, but I'm smiling from a parental point of view as well, because you know, even though we are kind of school leaders, we, we, we face exactly the same problems, you know, getting our kids at home if you've got children online with, you know, on with online learning. And certainly the first lockdown, my experience was that, 
you know, we had to kind of battle with my kind of daughter to get her to do things when she wanted to do it. And, you know, she, like you said, she picked and chose which she was going to do first. I'll do this later. I'll do that. Whereas now with it being a, a routine, actually this morning was quarter past nine. It was a music lesson, no negotiation. That's what it was. It was timetabled. All her mates were on it as well. And it made it so much easier for parents. I think the more we can make it easier and help parents out as well, the more engagement we're going to get. And the, you know, the more we're going to be able to expect, um, you know, in that whole kind of engagement process, I think that, that, that's absolutely great. Um, yeah, I think the other thing as well, John, is that staff in the first lockdown were, you know, we tried as much as we could to follow our original curriculum, but there's only so much you could do whilst you were just, you know, uploading work onto Google Classroom or sending them tasks to do without having the teacher there to explain it. So teachers were having to spend a lot of time sort of adapting old material for students to be able to follow themselves. Mm -hmm. And actually, you know, jumping all of this now online is probably saving work because staff are now not having to adapt any of their uh, any of their schemes of learning or any of their resources for students to be able to follow themselves so i think there's a big win there as well absolutely i, I totally agree chris you, you want to add anything to that in terms of what we've learned from from the last lockdown yeah i think i think one of the key things we were missing in lockdown one if we weren't doing live lessons was that ability to structure and narrate just a bit like we said regarding the textbooks in that last question you asked and i feel i feel actually having the students come into your lesson you know even if it's only for a, a 10 minute briefing explaining what's expected of them the outcomes have been so much better and i'm not on about within that live lesson i'm talking about in the google classroom afterwards engagements mm -hmm. higher and the quality of work that's being produced is higher mm -hmm. so the kids need the tour guide they need they need that person to hold the hand and take them through the learning um i i i, I totally echo what, what Rob said regarding that first part about not jumping in too quickly, we trialed live lessons um, after Easter and that trial ran and got bigger and bigger throughout that sort of a, that term. And it firstly was sixth form, then it was year 10 and we did some streamed lessons. But I think it is about building that capacity to be able to deal with what is a, a very different challenge to normal classroom teaching. So for me, I think I think students being held to account, being given structure of a day and structure of the learning has made all the difference in the world, especially to our students who are hardest to reach. Because I feel like if you were to try to design an activity to widen a gap, I can't think of anything worse than a lockdown, you know, without without interventions. And I think live lessons give us that intervention. Um, because th there are people doing work this time who who simply, you know, weren't until they were really pushed into action back in back in the summer term. So for me, it's made a huge difference. I think I think hybrid lessons have taught me something as well because I, I feel hybrid lessons are great. They give students who are isolating at home um, a, a sort of a lifeline, a point of contact, but. There's been a lot of student voice um, in the last few days from our year 12 who had quite a significant number isolating um, last last term who are finding the clarity of instruction in an all live lesson much better. And it's 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 that challenge of trying to do two different jobs at the same time. Um, when, when you focus on the children at home, you deliver better to the children at home. When you focus on the kids in the classroom better to them, um, I think it's it's much, much more preferable to be able to, to, to teach to one audience, though it is 
totally possible to do hybrids well. I just think it's more challenging. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's something that, you know, if we'd have said this 12 months ago, that we're going to, as a profession, we're now going to have to teach some kids in front of us and half the kids at home at the same time and record it and live, it would have been, it would have just been laughed out, you know, but actually we, we've turned our hand to it really, really well. And, and you know, talking about live lessons and, I, you know, there's a, there's a debate on Twitter at the moment, if you're following it about live lessons versus recorded lessons. And, you know, there, there, there are lots of kind of pros and cons to each and, you know, neither of them, we need to remember, neither of them should and, and, and would replace completely you know the, the 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 normal function of a classroom teacher in front of kids in front of you we would always choose that to be the best option it's now looking at kind of you know what's the best for us um and yeah there are pros and cons and with, you know, with yeah. video lessons you might be able to kind of share some of that workload out between staff and have them pre-recorded but something i saw this morning was someone was actually streaming a video lesson through kind of google you know at, the, at that time so it was still it felt like a, a live lesson to the kids at that time so th th there's lots of ways i suppose that we can look to kind of um, maneuver around this over the next few I, weeks you know i feel like it would be i love live lessons it's it's sort of something i would say i'm quite passionate about but i think loom is a transformative teaching tool you know that's what we use for our video pre-records and mm -hmm. I, I i think if that isn't part of your if that isn't part of your arsenal as a digital teacher you need to get it in there because if you're teaching three classes the same content well if you prepare something that's you know amazing record it that has triple the impact across those three groups so it's not just about workload it's about working smart and working to the highest quality you can um but in my experience, if a student is in that classroom with you and you ask a question of them to them, they are far more likely to respond. If you type it on the screen and say, watch this video and do this work, you are much more likely to get a non-response. And, and, and picking up on that there, Chris, have you found any, or for both of you, Rob and Chris, have you found any difference there with males and females in terms of, is are we getting any early indications about kind of any gender differences in terms of how they're engaging either to questions or to to that type of activity um i feel that we've noticed that in terms of attendance and things like that um the girls tend to be slightly stronger although one or two year groups the the difference is a little bit more marked but um i would say girls tend to be slightly better at the routines and, and following it and are more compliant uh -huh. um the boys tend to respond better to very sharp punchy directive things uh -huh. we use polls in webex like i mentioned before and that pops a question up into the middle of your screen and it sort of asks you to answer it and that urgency and that directness tends to get a response from every student including the boys whereas if you threw out a question you know um what's the name of this element type it into chat you'll get a third maybe a half mm -hmm. maybe even more in a good class but you're not getting everyone whereas that polling feature was a really good way of sort of saying no i'm talking to you in particular right there here's mm -hmm. your question answer it now but there's a little bit of a gender agenda gap there but not yeah. massively okay Rob, anything else there, or do you, do you concur with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree to be honest. It's not something we've, we've measured. My gut instinct looking through all the data is that there isn't much difference really between the engagement of girls and boys in the lessons. Mm -hmm. um, engagement in the actual lessons, I'd probably reiterate what Chris said. I said that, you know, some students are probably quite reluctant to turn their mic on and talk. And, you know, the more they get used to that, I suppose, the easier I think that will become as well. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think students are more likely to, 
to talk in the chat, but I really do like the idea of, of setting like polls up like what Chris mentioned. Excellent. Okay. Right. Talking now about moving on to, to safeguarding, really. I wonder if you can, if any of you can give me some kind of some quick tips, really, and, and also so that the teachers, some quick kind of easy tips to make sure that they're staying safe and following kind of safeguarding procedures when, when delivering lessons online. So I know this is one of the, certainly this was one of the big things uh, when we first started doing this that people were a little bit worried about. And hopefully we've kind of got past some of those issues now with, with some of our procedures and normal practices. Um, so Chris, if I, if I come to you to start with here, what, what, what kind of quick tips and quick, easy ways uh, that, that st teachers can keep themselves safe? Um, I think the key thing is, you know, if people are at home, um, don't put your cameras on. That's fairly simple and straightforward. It stops people seeing into your home. That protected to protect staff. Students really shouldn't have cameras on at all from home because I, I don't need to unpack, you know, the, the things that could go wrong with that. But, um, yeah, I think... We, we use a package called WebEx that allows us to totally disable the ability to switch cameras on in the lesson. And I did a lot of research to find something that could do that because I just thought, um, can I think of anything that could go wrong if children could share a video with the rest of their class? And it, I found I could think of lots and lots and lots mm -hmm. of things. So I wanted that video off and I didn't want to spend money to do it. And we found a solution for that. So that's the biggest safeguarding thing. It also lets you mute people and stop them turning on, switch mm -hmm. off group chat and things. So it gives you just such a lot of control to, to shut down the lesson and, and, and keep it very directed from students to teachers. But just be aware of the risks. We've done a risk assessment for um, live lessons that we've shared with staff and we've done um, a sort of protocols and procedures to ensure that we work safely because it is new, it is different and it's not without risk. So you've definitely got to consider that. But as long as you're using your technology carefully and you're aware of the learning environment, I think, I think it's something that's safe because you can't stop a student misbehaving or do something inappropriate in an actual classroom it's how you respond if that happens that that you know that is what makes us professionals yeah absolutely and rob certainly from, from a like more of a google kind of meeting a, a google classroom point of view anything anything there to add yeah it is it's like we said it's just about making sure that you, like knowing what can do and knowing where the host controls are and knowing how to use them um and i would say you know don't be afraid to that if students are you know are causing any of those um safeguarding risks if you're worried about anything or if students are misbehaving don't be afraid to remove them from the, the lesson and and you know follow that up with a phone call home yep absolutely yeah sound sound advice there gents um in terms of um i mean we've, we've already talked a little bit about feedback and we talked about kind of what some of the students had said but if i if i've got a couple of questions i'll pull together really i suppose so in terms of the, the feedback we've heard from kind of students so far but also from parents and if I also tie that together with what we know as well as parents, can from seeing it from the angle of parents as well as school leaders, what can we learn really from that early feedback, um, from what people are telling us, what parents are telling us, but also what we're seeing ourselves as parents in terms of being able to kind of move things forward? So, Rob, if I, if I, if I start with you here, how, do you, how can we kind of use that, that intelligence really to make our lessons more effective? Yeah, that's uh, it's a really good point, actually. It's something we've got to be really wary of. Um, so our early feedback from some of our students has been about um, how tired they've been feeling at the end of the day. Um, you know, and I know, again, there's lots out there about how tired it can make you when you're working online all day. Um, and I think we're probably at risk of, of, of burnout of not just the students, but the staff as well. If we, um, you know, if we carry on trying to deliver 
what at least five and a half hours of learning on online every day. Um, so I would say one thing we've got to be careful of is to make sure that you know where it where we can is to you know tell the students that they can like close the call down and, and, and complete some work offline if if we can set them anything like that. You know, we even daft things like encouraging them to have a break every 20 minutes and just stand up, look outside, mm -hmm. see what's going on, just to rest their eyes. You know, there's lots of things like that that we can we can make sure that we um you know we encourage them to do. You know, at the end of a lesson, if they've got a break time coming up, making sure, you know, one thing parents could do, and I suppose we, you know, we can encourage them to as well, is to switch off completely, not to spend their break time then scrolling through their phone and staring at yet another screen. Um, you know, just having that complete break away from from technology. I know, like our parental feedback on on what we're doing so far has been has been phenomenal actually, and um, we've had lots of nice messages sent into school, um, but also on our on our social media sites, um, we've got loads of of really really nice messages from parents who are so appreciative of everything that teachers are doing and to carry on you know education in these really these really trying times. You know, and I like you said earlier, you know, I've got a a 13 year old son who's at home working through you know lessons. Um, in the same way live and you know seeing the structure it gives him to his day it is a massive benefit from from you know trying to make sure he's filling his day appropriately with things that he's being sent and, and, I, and I, think, I think you're right it's absolutely you know, it, it's it's important that we think about the end user experience and i think sometimes that when we set things as teachers we maybe don't think about as much of that as as, as possible and certainly when we haven't had experience of home learning maybe if you if you're listening and you're not a parent yourself then it is, you know, it, it, it is difficult and we need to really think about, you know, how, how people can access it. Is it independent? You know, so therefore can a, an 11 or 12 year old access it independently if mum and dad are on video calls and, and various bits and bobs and how can they be able to do that independently? And I think the more we think about that, the more engagement and the more successful we're going to, we're going to get. Chris, you got anything, anything to kind of finish with there to, to, to add to that? Yeah, I mean, it's the parental angle again. I've got um, a five-year-old and a nine-year-old at home, and I've got to say, I think live lessons work wonderfully for more independent and autonomous kids who are older. But my um, my wife, I'd like to say my wife and I, but I'm, I'm currently working in school at the minute, so my, my poor wife's um, trying to balance two young kids Google Meets that are overlapping, um, technology that's playing up. So I think it's really important to have that view from home. I, I think our approach is very demanding. And Rob's point about burnout for kids and burnout for staff, that's that's my biggest concern at the minute. And that's something that I'm investing my brain power into it, trying to avoid. But I, I don't think this approach would work for younger, younger children. In fact, I, I'm seeing it not work so well because it is so intense and um my, my my children's behavior has been a bit more erratic they've been a bit more wired so i just feel like we we do need to remember that we are dealing with humans both as teachers and staff and that we need to care for them as a, as a sort of priority in this to make it work as well as possible um, yeah i i totally agree and certainly you know going back to what rob said about kind of you know, encouraging some time away from the screen as well. My my daughter's school um, have, have just started this morning doing live lessons and they've, they're scheduling in an hour's block, only a 45 minute lesson so that there is um, a, a, ded a dedicated and an actual kind of directed 15, 20 minutes away from the, um, you know, the, the, the screen to go to the toilet, to grab a drink, to walk around, to, you know, all those types of things that we, that we know, that's, you know that the science tells us are really beneficial. They've made sure that actually it's it's in there and it's directed rather than leaving it up to the member staff to 
to remember to do that or to hope to do that they know that you know there is 20 minutes in between where they can you know they can have some rest and some time away from it so i do i think that's important and not only just for the for the students but like you said chris for the staff as well because I know at the start of lockdown, I found that, um, you know, being on Google Meets, you know, three or four hours a day was far more uh, labor intensive mentally in, in terms of the cognitive demands than it would be sitting in normal meetings. You know, you, you're you listening to pick up different cues, you're judging body language differently. And I was finding, you know, headaches kind of quite frequently at the end of the days when I hadn't really left the house, but I was doing kind of video meetings all the time. And I think that we need to remember that cognitively, there are lots of different demands than they would be in a, in a classroom setting and um you know we, we shouldn't forget that so so yes right well that's brought us to the end of, the, of this episode um i just want to thank you both for for sharing your your tips your uh, your golden nuggets um and your, your your kind of wisdom with with the listeners because i think that we've we've unpacked quite a lot there in terms of how we deliver how we plan live lessons how we think about them um, you know, and, and the different things that we can use to enhance those lessons, and 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 this this is the this is the first episode of our podcast, but it, it's going to be the first in uh, the first two or three that we're going to record in the next kind of week or so, next few weeks that are structured around remote learning, um, live lessons, uh, how we how we assess and how we give feedback through through live lessons, uh, how we how we approach uh, students with with, with send. Um, so I think it, it's been a great start to kick off with. So I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for, for all of your, 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 your kind of pearls of wisdom there. And, um, you know, if you've, if, you've, uh, if you've found anything there that you've, as a listener, you think you want to kind of uh, jump on board with, then, uh, you know, get, you know get, get trying out in your classroom. Like, like the guys both said, start small. Uh, don't think you've got to do it all at once. Um, and feel free you know, to reach out to Chris uh, or to Rob if you want to see any of those things in action. You want to, you want to kind of ask them any 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 questions about where they got it from um and, and that'd be great so thank you once again gents uh much appreciated and uh, yeah. we'll be back with you with another episode uh pretty soon thank you guys thanks john thanks chris thank you but guys see you later thanks for listening to the alt learn podcast we'll be back soon with another episode where we'll be speaking to more of our teachers and finding out how they're turning theory into practice until then take care